Our scripture lesson for today is so familiar, but I hope you'll listen and hear it with fresh ears. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. It is a gospel lesson. So I'll ask you to stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel. Luke 10, beginning with verse 25. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Let's begin with our theme verse for this Bible school month from Ephesians 3.20. If you were around Bible school this week, you heard this a lot. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish far more, abundantly far more, than all we can ask or imagine. June is Vacation Bible School month here at Noonan First United Methodist Church. I don't think you could have missed that this morning. But to emphasize the importance of this ministry, we have decided for the month in Connect, Contemporary Worship, and in Traditional Worship to build our worship themes, our topics, around the four topics or the four themes of Vacation Bible School. We were here for, for four days. And the overall title of the school, the theme was To Mars and Beyond. And on June the 2nd, we talked about going beyond with faith. And it was that marvelous story of Daniel in the lion's den. And then we took a break from Bible School Week and heard our amazing youth choir and their homecoming concert. And then we were back on June 16th last week, Go Beyond with Boldness. And we talked about the book of Esther. We've had a lot of Esther around here recently in presentations and Bible studies and different things. This week, Go Beyond with Kindness is the Good Samaritan story that you've just heard. And next week, we conclude the month and the series with Go Beyond with Thankfulness. Kindness this week, thankfulness next week. Going beyond and exceeding expectations. We've talked a lot about that. And we sort of laid the foundation for that earlier in the month with that story where Abraham 
sent his servant to the city of Nahor to find a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac. And Rebekah came out, and she offered the servant a drink of water, which was expected hospitality for that day and time. But then she went way beyond, and she brought water and filled the troughs, water enough for ten camels that had come with Abraham's servant on this journey, ten camels bearing gifts. And anybody who can haul that much water is going way beyond exceeding all human expectations. And she ended up becoming a part of that amazing family. And then there was Daniel, and then there was Esther, and then this week there's a good Samaritan going beyond with kindness. The story of the Good Samaritan. So it's with no small amount of fear and trepidation that I approach this particular passage of Scripture, the story of the Good Samaritan. And the fear and trepidation comes from knowing that the story is so familiar that oftentimes when people hear it who've heard it all their lives, they sort of shut down and they say, all right, time to think about some other things. Time to look interested and think about some other things. But it is familiar stuff. And sometimes we sort of hum the melody and focus our brains and our minds on other things. So hopefully we can retell the story in such a way that maybe there's something here we hadn't thought about before or hadn't heard about, or more likely something we've heard and and forgotten about. And as we are reminded, maybe we'll speak to our hearts as we think about what it means to go beyond expectations with kindness. The parable itself is preceded by a conversation, a dialogue involving Jesus and a lawyer. A lawyer, the temptation here, of course, is to take off on lawyers. There are so many wonderful stories and jokes. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But before I start telling these stories, I'm not going to because I keep being reminded there are just as many preacher stories out there. And uh, (laughs) I really don't want to hear those, so we will... We'll just stop there. But there is a lawyer, not a lawyer in the sense that we think of a lawyer today. So a scholar in the religious law of the day, a a scribe, someone who really knew his or her stuff. Now, there are other scenes in which Jesus is approached by a lawyer, scribe, one of the rulers, and he's asked a question about the commandments and about what has to be done to inherit eternal life. Those questions seem to come up off and on throughout the four Gospels, but only in Luke is this conversation used as a preface to the story of the Good Samaritan. Luke is distinctive in other aspects as well. One of the reasons I love Luke's gospel, and if I had to pick a favorite, it would be Luke. The stories that are there, the heart that Luke has for folks in this world who are hurting and broken and in need and often overlooked. Uh, Luke's gospel is, is pretty incredible. The lawyer asks, what must I do? And Jesus answers with a question of his own. What is written in the law? What do you read there? And the command to love the Lord is qualified by four phrases that found, not found elsewhere in Scripture, not in that exact form anyway, and the stating of the command is followed by the assurance, okay, Jesus said to this lawyer, do this and you'll live. You'll come fully alive. And I don't know if you noticed or not, but when we were reading through this, there's a symmetry in this story and the conversation between Jesus and this lawyer. There's a rhythm to the story. There's a flow to it. Luke's amazing writing. It begins with this 
conversation in the first section. The lawyer asks a question, Jesus responds with a question, the lawyer responds with an answer, and Jesus does likewise. And in the second section, again, back into the rhythm, the lawyer asks a question, Jesus responds with a question, the lawyer has an answer, and so does Jesus. The questions are important, and so are the answers. But Jesus, I think here, is making it doubly clear that the kingdom of God is more than just a discussion. It's more than just a conversation, as important as those conversations can be. And ends up including the parable of of the Good Samaritan. Haven't we all been where the lawyer was? Maybe we're still there, meeting and analyzing and discussing and crunching the numbers and reading some more and plundering the internet for more and more and more information. Never really doing anything with the information that's going to make a difference. And that kind of paralysis, someone's called it the paralysis of analysis, that kind of paralysis can afflict individuals and families and businesses and governments and yes, even churches. We can chart and graph and facts and Google the life out of an idea. And finally, the idea falls to its knees and begs for the mercy of implementation. Quit talking about me, the idea says. Slide some shoes on my feet and put some working gloves on my hand and let's get busy. Let's do something. Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, above all, try something. The forces of evil are not intimidated by all of our knowledge, believe it or not. All of our understanding do not intimidate those forces, but they are rendered powerless when we actually begin to do something. And I know, I know some folks are saying, well, what can I do? I'm at a place in my life and my abilities are not what they were and I don't have these resources or those resources. What if I can't do anything? And I believe the answer to that is you can and should pray. And that's more than just a cliche. People say sometimes in response, somebody says, pray for me. And and we may say, well, sure, I'll pray for you. That's the least I can do. But no, 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 that's not the least we can do. That's the most we can do for someone if we do it consistently and from our hearts. And it is doing something. It is evident from the conversation between Jesus and the lawyer. It's treated by Luke as an occasion to introduce the parable. The parable itself focuses not so much on love of God at this point, but on love of neighbor, on love of other persons. This is not an isolated instance. Twice that we know of, the apostle Paul wrote that the whole law was summed up in the command to love one's neighbor as oneself. Notice that the parable and Jesus' question following do not directly answer the lawyer's question. To ask who is my neighbor is to ask for a definition of the object and the extent of love. Jesus' question as to who proved himself to be a neighbor turns the attention away from that to the kind of person one is to be other than trying to decide who is or who is not our neighbor. Jesus' question, which of these was a neighbor to the one who fell among the robbers, is a corrective to the improper question of the lawyer. Well, who is my neighbor? Trying to justify himself. Learning to ask the right question is a sign of maturity and growth and wisdom, and it's always important, isn't it? Ask the right questions. 
I know this story's been around a while, but most of the great stories have, it seems like. There was a man standing on the street corner in downtown Atlanta, and beside him was a dog. And this other guy walks up and says, hey, mister, will your dog bite? And the man said, no. And he reached down to pet the dog, and he drew back a bloody, gnarled hand, and he yelled at the guy, you said your dog wouldn't bite? man said, that's not my dog. <laughs> Asking the right questions. It's pretty important, isn't it? A conversation with God, an evangelist was praying on time and said, God, what's a million dollars to you? And God said, a penny. And the evangelist said, God, what's a million years to you? And God said, a second. So the evangelist said, well then, Lord God, would you lend this poor servant of yours a penny? And God said, just a second. <laughs> Ask the right questions. Who is my neighbor? Not the right question. I think Jesus is trying to tell the lawyer you're asking the wrong question. Not a good question for an ancient lawyer or a contemporary you or me. Jesus is thinking here about who qualifies as my neighbor. I mean, that's what the guy's asking, and Jesus hears him saying that. How would we answer that? What are some things that we might say if somebody were to ask one of us, and who's your neighbor? Here's some things I came up with. I don't know if these resonate with any of you or not. They came to my mind, which means I need to be careful about this. Number one, my neighbor is someone of the same socioeconomic status as myself, likely to live in a similar neighborhood and drive a car in a similar price range. Number two, my neighbor is someone who looks like I do, similar features, same skin tone. Number three, my neighbor is someone who talks like I do, if not the same accent, at least the same language. Number four, my neighbor is someone whose interests and prejudices resemble my own. Conversations are comfortable, not contentious. Number five, my neighbor is someone who attends or who attended the same school or club, university. Someone who pledged the same sorority or fraternity. Someone who belongs to the same fraternal organization or society or church. Number six, my neighbor is someone who usually makes the right choices. My neighbor would never be tangled up in a web or a mess of his or her own making. Who is my neighbor? The ancient lawyer asked, inappropriately I might add. And Jesus answered the question in a way that I think caused the lawyer to hear and to see the inappropriateness of the question. Jesus did one of the things he did best. He told a little story with a big point. These parables were powerful things. They went against the grain of what people thought and believed. It was like a bomb wrapped in a pretty package. And when it exploded, people weren't expecting that. And it caught them off guard. And they had to think and pray about it and wrestle with it. Jesus answered with a story that starts a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now that's the point when a lot of us tune out and say, I've heard that, don't need it again, but it's hanging there for just a little bit longer. The region of Judea 
where the story is set is very rugged with canyons and steep drop-offs, narrow canyons. In the parable, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jericho, about a thousand feet below sea level, almost a 4,000 foot drop, about 12 miles as the crow flies. A one-day journey. That's a long way to walk in a day, but that's what they said. While it is geographically down to Jericho, you always refer to leaving Jerusalem, regardless of which direction you're going, as going down. It was a way of elevating the sacred meaning of the city, the holiness of the place. Anytime you left Jerusalem, you were going down regardless of your direction. So you have this setting, this rough, tough setting. And Jesus' disciples and others who were listening were probably thinking, Lord, I wish you had said this parable anywhere else, on any other road. Archaeologists tell us that the bones that they've dug up and found along this road from Jerusalem down to Jericho, they found more bones there that were afflicted, the person was afflicted with leprosy, than anywhere else in that whole area of the world. And that's logical. Lepers were not allowed to live in cities. They were sent out away from other folks, maybe out into wilderness places like this road. The leopards were fugitives in a way. But there were others there, other fugitives of justice, and they were hiding and lived in caves along that road. You can still see the caves up in the hills along that, that road. Revolutionaries, Insurrectionists, runaway slaves, folks who had dedicated their life to the overthrow of the Roman Empire. And so they were there and they had to hide out, but they had to fund their revolutionary activities. So the best way to do that was to get down on the road and rob the pilgrims who were passing by, going up and down from Jerusalem. The very first words of the parable are shocking in that it implies that this man who was beat up was traveling alone. Not in a group for safety. In that day and in that time, they traveled in groups, men, women and children, and men in the rear, just, just for safety. That was just the way they, they saw things. Most likely the hearers would have thought, what a stupid man, what a foolish man, this was, he knew better than that. Deserved to get beat up, he did. Nobody to blame but himself. Folks who create their own messes ought to have to extricate themselves from those messes that they're in. Not only was he stupid to be traveling alone, but he resisted the robbers. Many robbers, it seems, across the ages, if you don't resist, maybe just take what you have and leave you alone. Maybe not. If you resist, though, they may hurt you or worse. Robber etiquette, I suppose, a code of honor even among thieves, perhaps. Could it be that Jesus is saying we should not withhold caring concern or kindness, going beyond with kindness, we should not withhold that from someone because of his or her own foolishness. Remember number six on the list, who qualifies as a neighbor? My neighbor is someone who always makes the right choices. So much easier, isn't it, from our human standpoint to help someone who is an innocent victim rather than someone who got themselves into trouble because they made poor choices. 
Something else Jesus has done in telling this story. We can't tell if the unnamed man who was beat up, we don't know if he's one of them or one of us. How did you tell back in that day, in that time, in that area? Either by the clothing someone wore or by their accent. The man had been stripped of his clothing by the robbers. He was half dead, the story says. And I know the optimist in, in the group will say, well, he was half alive. But he was half dead, unconscious, couldn't speak, no clothing. This was a human being. But beyond that, the Samaritan who stopped to help didn't know anything about him. Didn't know if he was a Jew or a Samaritan or someone else. The first passerby was a priest. He was probably coming from serving in the temple. So theoretically, you would think he's been worshiping God. And if someone's been somewhere to worship God, you would think when they leave that place, they would be in a magnanimous spirit. Hopefully folks leave church in a good spirit. They said it was Mark Twain wrote in his diary one Sunday, I've been to church this morning and and I'm not depressed. So uh, I hope we don't add to folks depression here but this guy's leaving the temple so hopefully he should be in a gracious kind of spirit and you would think but he passed by and the second guy was a Levite. don't know if he was coming or going from the temple but if he was going up to the temple to assist the priest then he didn't want to miss his turn maybe once every 12 years or so so many folks that he'd get a chance to worship in the temple and if he stopped and touch this man, and if this man had already died, then to touch a corpse made one unclean, and it'd be a long time before he could enter the temple of God. So maybe that's what was going on with him, and he passed him by. And finally, finally somebody stops to help, and who is it but a despised Samaritan? Assyrians and the Jews who had intermarried at a certain point in their history and the Samaritans had come about and they were so hated and and so despised. The one who had been beat up was going to be picked up and fixed up by a Samaritan. A questionable savior. The Samaritan... And I wonder if the man had any consciousness about him at all, any perception, if he had been thinking to himself, somebody's got to help me. (laughs) But not a Samaritan. A questionable savior. Which of these three, Jesus asked the lawyer, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy, Jesus said, go and do likewise. That's a phrase for us to hang on to. Christians are sometimes perceived as folks who have all the right answers. We fight and struggle and fuss and fume about what we believe and everything has got to be just right and just perfect. We have to have the right answers or that's how we're perceived. And when folks find out I'm a pastor, they ask all kinds of questions and I expect that and I don't mind that. And when I know the answer to their question, they'll say something like, well, I knew you'd know that. And when I don't know the answer, they sometimes say, I thought you people knew all about that stuff. (laughs) Uh, You people. I don't, um, what do they mean, you people? (laughs) Perhaps being a faithful servant of Jesus Christ 
doesn't have so much to do with having all of the right answers. We're not always going to have all the right answers. Maybe not so much that as it does with asking the right questions. Perhaps being a faithful church has more to do with asking the right questions than it does with having all the answers. Who is my neighbor? Is not one of the right questions. To whom can I be neighborly is. So we should go beyond with kindness and be neighborly, even to those who bring it on themselves. Is that a good question or not? Amen.